What's up, everybody? How are y'all doing? Good? I don't believe you. Let's get, get a little louder than that. How are y'all doing? Thank you, Bubba. Um, well, this morning, um, I'm just going to jump right into it because I've got a lot to say, and uh, I'm going to say a quick prayer, and we're going to get into this thing. Is that all right? All right, Lord Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you that um, your presence is here already. We didn't have to wait for your presence. We entered into your presence because it's there. It's just about us acknowledging it. And this, uh, this message today that you gave is about uh, us acknowledging the call of God on our lives, each, each individual person here, God. And I just thank you. Um, I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for the, bond, the bonds that's going to be broken off people. And I just thank you, for, Lord, for showing up and loving on us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So um, Pastor Kelly and Denise are gone, so you got me. And as Ben said... the. Ben said the first service, he's not even really a pastor. I was like, that might be a good thing. So um, this is um, our sixth week of Anatomy of a Disciple. Who's been here for most of those? All right, well, this is going to be a message called Heed the Call. Does anybody know what it means to heed the call? To pay close attention to, to listen, to, to, to hone in on what, what they're saying, to pay close attention to. Now, the story I'm going to be talking about today is Elisha. Anybody ever heard of Elisha? That's okay. If you haven't, we're going to talk about him a little bit. But you can't tell the story of Elisha without telling the story of Elijah. The two are inextricably linked. You can't mention one without mentioning the other. Now, Elijah was the man around 900 B.C., he was the prophet of God, and he is the most known, and what I remember him for, as slaying 450 prophets of Baal by calling down fire from heaven in a really dramatic fashion. It was pretty cool. Like, psh, boom, awesome. Another thing I really remember him for when I was a kid is he never tasted death. I always thought that was, like, super cool. Like, I wish that I could do that now. Like, hey, it's superhuman Elijah. He never tasted death. He went up to heaven in a fiery chariot. Sounds pretty cool now. But here's another thing about Elijah. The, the Elijah means the Lord is my God. And it's really important when you realize what Elijah was up against. Um, he, he was a prophet around the area of ancient Mesopotamia and Samaria. And if you know that region, back then it was mainly a polytheistic religion. They only serve, they served many, many gods, not just one. So what Elijah was proclaiming, hey, there's just one God, and I know who he is, was radically different, okay? So that's what he was up against. He only believed in one God. And he also appears with Jesus along with Moses in three of the four Gospels in the Transfiguration. Anybody read that? Where he's standing along with him? Pretty cool. So this dude's a really, really, really big deal. Really big deal. Well, God tells Elijah, he says, hey, you have been the man of God for some time. I'm going to replace you. I'm telling you who your replacement is. It's this guy named Elisha. I need you to go find him. The mantle is going to be passed to him, so to speak. The calling is going to go to him. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning. In 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. Elijah went straight out and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, in a field where there were 12 pairs of yoked oxen at work plowing. Elisha was in charge of the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak over him, which signified the calling being passed. Elisha deserted the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, then I'll follow you. 
Go ahead, said Elijah, but mind you, don't forget what I've just done to you. Now, in other words, don't forget the calling. It's your choice whether you follow me or not, but don't forget what I've just done. So Elisha left. He took his yoke of oxen and butchered him. He made a fire with the plow and tackle and then boiled the meat, a true farewell meal for the family. Then he left and followed Elijah, becoming his right-hand man. Now, what I want us to focus on this morning is the calling of God on Elisha's life and the steps he had to take to ensure the purpose was fulfilled in his life. He, he had to heed the call, pay close attention to, to everything that was going on. And also, we have that same call in our life today. That's what we need to pay attention to. The decision is to partner with God and narrow our focus on what he has in store for us. It's not always about making a choice between good and evil. Sometimes it's about what, what we have and what he wants us to have. Right? Sometimes it's not about the good and bad things. Sometimes we're just living in what is comfortable for us and then what God wants us to have. Now, Elisha said this, let me kiss my mother and father goodbye, then I'll follow you. Now, what Elisha essentially did here, and it's what we need to do as well, we need to remove our distractions. He removed his distractions. Now, I'm not saying, guys, that your mother and father are your distractions. Maybe they are in some cases. But Jesus said this. He said, if you're not willing to leave your mother and father, you can't be my disciple. Kiss it goodbye. That's the message version. Now, do you think Jesus was really meant, hey, uh, abandon your mother and father? Some cases, maybe. But what he was Anything that is not, uh, if I'm not your primary goal right here, anything that makes me secondary, you need to leave it, right? So that's what he's telling us. That's what Elisha essentially did. He kissed his mother and father goodbye and said, hey, you know what? I'm following the call of God on my life. Now, there's things in our lives sometimes that are major distractions. Social media. Who loves social media? Don't say anything. You, It's a love-hate relationship. You love it or hate it, one, but you're addicted to it. Sports. I am a sports junkie. Anybody that knows me knows I love sports. News. Ben is a news junkie. He's going to be listening to news all the time. See, me and Tiff's news feeds are totally different. She'll be like, babe, did you hear about the tragedy that happened and these people lost their lives? I'm like, no, babe. Did you hear that James Harden got traded to Philadelphia 76ers? That happened. It's a real thing. Ben Simmons is with the New Jersey Nets, too. Brooklyn. Brooklyn Nets. Way to go. Thank you for correcting me. See, we need to quiet the noise of things that waste our time and our schedules and minds just to be able to focus on the quiet, still voice of God. And it is quiet. You know, Elijah found out when he was trying to hear the voice of God, he would listen for, uh, listen for him in a tornado, in a storm, in an earthquake, but he found him in the still whisper. We need to remove our distractions. Sometimes our distractions are a relationship. Sometimes our distractions are a phone. Or something, Ben. Um, is that all right? All right. Well, I'm just going to keep on. Are you good? You can leave. All right. Sometimes our distractions are our phone, like I said. Sometimes our distractions are a relationship. And we're doing this right now. Yeah. Okay. It's that kind of party. All right. So sometimes our distractions are what holds us back. It's a, it's a relationship that we shouldn't be in. It's, un, it's a toxic relationship. Ship. Yeah, thank, 
Okay. Um, like I said, sometimes there are distractions. Uh, Daniel, hey, bro, can you, um, Bob, Ben, hey, can y'all get on out here? It's okay. Hey, we'll deal with it later. Thank you. Daniel, get him out of here. Thank you, bro. Appreciate that. Yeah. It's true. He is. See, what just happened is we will ignore our distractions. We'll try to live with our distractions. If I would have stood up here and tried to finish my message, there's no way I could have focused with them two dudes going on and on and back and forth and, hey, can we check this meter for this? And, and I'm still trying to tell you what God told me. No. It seems really, really easy, right? But we'll live in life with our distractions. And it takes our focus away from, from God. And what our distractions does is not only are we distracted, y'all were distracted. Y'all couldn't understand anything I was saying up here because Ben and Bob were talking back and forth and I was trying to talk to y'all while they were talking. All we need to do is remove our distractions, right? Sounds easy. See, sometimes our calling is not to lead a million people to God. Oh, that's really good. Sometimes our calling for us on staff here is not just to come here. Sometimes our calling is to put down our phones and say yes to our kids. How about that? That'll preach. Sometimes my calling is to say, yes, I will jump on the trampoline with you. Yes, I'll uh, listen to something that doesn't interest me at all on YouTube. Yes, you can put makeup on me, Kenley. <laughs> She's done it. And yes, I will learn how to do the jerk with you. And yes, I know how to do the jerk. Y'all know what the jerk is? Oh. Ah. Bend it, Graham. I don't fully got the jerk yet. But I tried. And I'll tell you what was funny is when I was trying to learn this, I had my little tank top on in the living room doing it. And like, oh, babe, this feels so awkward, like my boobies are bouncing. And she's like, me too, it's so weird. I'm like, yeah, but yours are supposed to. I'm not supposed to be doing that. Completely awkward. Another thing, Kenley came up to me and said, hey, Dad, I like your boobies. I was like, well, thank you, I guess. All right, cool. I don't know. Thank you, Ken. Some, somehow I'm not mad. It's the only compliment I got today, so I'll take it. But when we're distracted at home or in our relationships, we are not present. And this can have a damning psychological effect on the people that are in our house. See, if I'm distracted, if I'm looking at my phone, if I'm doing everything else, then I can guarantee you my kids are going to be distracted by the same thing I'm doing, by their phone. There's not a connection there. There's no connection because we're not available. We're not present. Sometimes that is our calling. Our calling, first and foremost, besides God, is to our families. It's just it. Be available. Be present. And His presence will reveal our next step. Be available. Be present. And His presence will reveal our next step. See, when we ignore our distractions, our focus becomes impaired. If we can reduce or remove our distractions, we can start to partner and pair with the calling God has for us. We can start to heed the call. We can pay attention to what he has in store for us. When we begin to narrow our focus, we can hone in on what he has for our lives. The second thing we need to learn how to do from Elisha's story 
eliminate our options. When Elisha returned to kiss mom and dad goodbye, he didn't just say farewell to his distractions. He eliminated his options. Verse 21 says this. So Elisha left. He took his yoke of oxen and butchered him. He made a fire with the plow and tackle and then boiled the meat. A true farewell meal for the family. He then left and followed Elijah, becoming his right-hand man. See, what Elijah, Elisha did right here is he totally burned down his past. Anything, any source of income, any security he had, any, any way that he could be comfortable, there was no going back. This was it. He was going to do what God had called him to do. There was no other choice. But tonight, I love that about this story. Has anybody ever heard of Hernan Cortez? Any history buffs in here? In 1519, he landed in Veracruz, what is now Mexico, to overthrow the Aztecs. When he landed there, history's not really accurate on this, but between 300 and 600 men, he landed there to overtake the Aztecs, and when he got there, he burned all of his ships. You know what the message sent to his men? Hey, we're not retreating. There's no way to go back home. If we don't overtake, if we don't win this battle, then we're dead. He eliminated his options. Some of us need to burn our ships. That's it. Some of us need to burn our ships. There, this was his declaration. This was Elisha's declaration that there was no going back. There was no going back. See, we all love options, don't we? I love options. When I got out of prison, Tiffany stopped at the gas station, and I went in to get a drink. And there was like 6,000 things for me to choose from. I'm like, dang. There were so many options that I couldn't even focus on what to do. I was like, what do I want? I just got a measly Dr. Pepper because I just didn't want anything. I, like, I don't even know what to get. And I'm really nervous about being in here. Can you get me out of here? <laughs> but we all love our options. We, and we love a good backup plan, don't we? But sometimes our options are a distraction as well. See, our backup plan becomes our plan. Our backup plan becomes our plan because we become comfortable and secure. The unknown is scary, guys. See, I want you to notice something, though, about Elisha, though. The Bible said whenever Elijah found Elisha, he was what? He was plowing his field. Can y'all say that with me? He was plowing. One more time. We was almost there. He was Good job, guys. Way to go. He was plowing his field. See, what this tells me about Elisha is that God wants us to work. So a lot of us have got comfortable in what we're doing right now, and we've, we've decided not to work or do what he's doing. God wants us to do something. Sometimes our calling is to do the best job of whatever God has given us, Right? Sometimes we're waiting on our calling instead of working our calling. That's just it. God has something in store for us, and we need to know when to work and when to move on. See, this wasn't Elisha's backup plan. It was his plan until God called him elsewhere. His options were limited until God blessed him for his faithfulness. Now, you're saying, Casey, what do you want me to do, quit work? No, that is absolutely the dumbest thing ever. But there's nothing wrong with working construction. I did it for many years. There's nothing wrong with working at UPS. My wife works there. Bo worked there for a short time, maybe going back. Could be. There's nothing wrong with working at TVA. We have plenty of people at this church that work for TV, TVA. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with working at a gas station. It's when we let these places determine our calling and how far God can take us. 
It's when we let, if anybody's working in any of those places, there's a culture that indoctrinates that place. And then us Christians come in there and it seems to turn us. What we need to do is take the culture of our kingdom of Jesus and take it into that culture and totally transform. Maybe that's our calling. So you ain't the only one preaching, Ben. See, when we answer the call of God on our lives, we enter into a relationship. And hey, here's the deal. We think it's the pinnacle of what he wants. But a relationship with God, it's not, it, it, a relationship with God, it's not a landing strip. All right? It's a launch pad. You're like, what is, what? that's the same thing, right, Casey? Is that the same thing? Well, here's the difference. A landing strip signifies the end of a journey, the conclusion, the arrival. I've made it. This is as far as I can come. A launch pad is the uncertain springboard of faith into our future. It's acknowledging that there is a past, but we're past that. It's acknowledging that what you have for us is bigger than I could ever imagine, God. It's greater than I could ever fathom. And like Tiffany sung in that song, our head is above the water. Lord, just lead me where my faith is not strong enough. Make my faith strong enough. And we need to focus on the call of God on our lives. We need to heed to the call and surge towards the mark. Anybody heard Paul talk about that in Philippians? Philippians, surging towards the mark. We need to set a fire and burn down our options. Burn the ships. Those things in our life that are holding us back. Now, here's the deal. There will be pain and there's going to be uncertainty in the unknown. There definitely is every time. But there will also be a freedom that you can't articulate. I know it for myself. You know, uh, uh, Chris Valentin said this, sometimes God's a light in our path, sometimes he's a lamp into our feet, but most of the time he's a lamp into our feet. We gotta do one step at a time, and he reveals himself. What did you say, God? Okay, next step. It's all about having faith in what he has for us. Anybody ever heard of the story of Aaron Ralston? Y'all seen the movie 127 Hours? Holy snot. Anyway, let me get a drink. Bo, I know you've seen the movie. Right? If you haven't seen it, James Franco starred, played him in the movie. And it's a harrowing uh, true story of survival. Um, if you haven't heard it, I'll give you the abbreviated version. Ralston was an experienced climber and outdoorsman, and he moved to Colorado in 2002 to climb and fulfill his dream of climbing all of Colorado's 14 years. And all of those are the peaks in Colorado that were 14,000 feet or higher, of which there is 59. Oh, yeah, he wanted, to do, he wanted to do them in the winter alone and solo, a feat that had never been done or recorded. He survived an avalanche skiing not too long after he moved to Colorado. What would totally deter most people, it pressed him forward, right? In April 25th, 2003, he traveled to Utah to explore Canyonlands National Park. He slept in his truck that night, and at 9.15 the next morning, a beautiful sunny Saturday, he rode his bicycle 15 miles to Blue John Canyon, an 11-mile-long gorge that in some places is just three feet wide. Sorry. He locked his bike and walked towards the canyon's opening. At around 2.45 p.m., as he descended into the canyon, a giant rock above him slipped. Ralston fell, and his right hand became lodged between the canyon wall and an 800-pound boulder, leaving him trapped 100 feet below the desert surface and 20 miles from the nearest paved road. 
See, Ralston hadn't told anyone about his common plans. No mom, dad, relative, friend, anybody. He didn't have a way to signal for help. There was no phone. There was no technology that would reach out there, no flare gun. He inventoried his provisions. He had two burritos, some candy bar crumbs, and a bottle of water. That sounds like most college kids' car. He futilely tried to he futilely tried chipping away at the boulder. Eventually, he ran out of water and had to drink his own urine. The unimaginable. The entire time, he considered cutting off his arm. He experimented with different tourniquets and even made several superficial cuts to test his knife's sharpness. He said this. I didn't know how I was going to cut through the bone with my cheap knife. It was the kind you'd get if you bought a $15 flashlight for free. I didn't know how I was going to do it. Distraught and delirious, Aaron Ralston resigned himself to his fate. He used his dull tools to carve his name into the canyon wall, along with his birth date, the day's date, his presumed date of death, and the letters R.I.P. Then he used a video camera to tape goodbyes to his family and attempted to sleep. That night, as he drifted in and out of consciousness, Ralston dreamt of himself with only half his right arm, playing with a child. Awaking, he believed the dream was a sign that he would survive and that he would have a family. With a determined sense of resolution, he threw himself into survival mode. Dying wasn't an option, and he had eliminated every other option. If he wanted a future, he had to narrow his focus and cut away something. He had to burn something to the ground. He had to leave it behind. Although excruciatingly painful, it was the only way to experience his future. See, the dream of a future family and life outside the canyon left Aaron Ralston with an epiphany. He didn't have to cut through the bones. He could break them instead. Using the torque from his trapped arm, he managed to break his old and his radius. After his bones were disconnected, he fashioned a tourniquet from the tubing of his Camelbach water bottle and cut off his circulation entirely. Then he was able to use his cheap, dull two-inch knife to cut through the skin and muscle and a pair of pliers to cut through the tendons. Horrific. He left his arteries for last, knowing that after he severed them, he wouldn't have much time. He said this, All the desires, joys, and euphorias of a future life came rushing into me. Maybe this is how I handle the pain. I was so happy to be taking action. I was so happy to be just doing something. See, the entire process took an hour during which Ralston lost 25% of his blood volume. High on adrenaline and the sheer will to live, Ralston climbed out of the slot canyon, rappelled down a 65-foot sheer cliff, and hiked six of the eight miles back to his car. All while severely dehydrated, continuously losing his blood, and one-handed. It's amazing what we can do when we've eliminated our options, ain't it? See, as far as that dream, full, a dream of a full life that sparked his incredible escape and survival, it came true tenfold. Ralston is now a proud father of two who hasn't slowed down at all despite losing an arm. And as far as climbing goes, he hasn't even taken a break. In 2005, he became the first person to climb all 59 of Colorado's 14 years, alone and in the snow and one-handed to boot. Ralston said this of his accident. I had to say farewell to the life I knew and I was comfortable with, but saying farewell is also a bold and powerful beginning. He burned the ships. That's what Elisha did. He set his past on fire to move forward, to press forward, to do what God had called him to do. That's what we need to do today. I know when I was preparing for this lesson, that song's about turning your, or burning your past to the ground. And I remember in 2013 when I first heard that song, um, 
y'all, a lot of y'all are probably like, oh, the Eminem's going to be at the Super Bowl tonight. That's why he did it. But I was listening to that song in 2013 when my wife, uh, I was waiting for the prospect of what was going to happen to me. I was facing a lot of prison time. I didn't know what was going to happen. All I knew, I was really messed up. And I envisioned myself. Have you ever listened to a song and kind of envisioned what's going to happen? I was listening to that song, and I was envisioning, man, I wish I could get it together. I wish I could set my past, uh, set my, uh, burn my past to the ground. I wish that was me. And I started to even envision what it would be like to do that song sometime. I remember that now. Maybe it could impact somebody. And then when I was preparing for this message, I forgot all about that song. And God brought it to my memory. I was like, oh, thank you, God. You're saying, Casey, you think God brought Eminem to your memory? Absolutely. God can speak through a donkey. I think he can speak through Eminem, too. I absolutely do. See, my life, my, everything that I went through was almost totally a hell of my own making. But I had somebody there that it, might, it may have seemed foolish. It may have seemed stupid. She, some of her family probably told her, I know some of my family said, Casey, you know what? Dude, uh, or Tiffany, you need to walk away from him. He's no good. He's never going to change. And she never stopped. She never wavered. Hey, I know what God's telling me about him. I know what's God. Some of the things God will tell us to do when we're heeding the call sounds really foolish. Sounds really stupid. And some of us, lives have just sucked or passed up. And it was none of our fault, not at all. So maybe we were abused as a kid. Maybe we were beat as kids. Stuff like that. It was never our, never our fault. We just need to burn it down. Stuff that is not our faults, we can't control, but we can control the steps we take now. We can burn that crap to the ground. We can burn it to the ground. See, there's others here that need to just start living. Need to just start living. You're saying, Casey, I don't have a bad past. I don't have anything like that. No, but you're spinning your wheels and trying to figure out what God wants you to do because you know there's something in store that he wants to do in your life. I think a lot of times... We get deterred because we're not this big grand vision as of us leading. Sometimes your calling is just to pay for that elderly couple's meal at, at the restaurant. Sometimes your calling is just to speak to your kids. Sometimes your calling is just to walk up and pray for the cashier. Something totally uncomfortable. Tiff will tell you, I do stuff like this all the time now. It's totally uncomfortable. And then sometimes I backfire by wanting to cuss out the daggum person at the window. But I do stuff that's totally uncomfortable. That's what our calling will do for us. See, we need to cut off and eliminate the options and distractions of our lives. See, I find the reason that most of us don't do that, I find the reason we don't do anything new is because we have, we're doing all we've ever known. And, we, and it's become comfortable and we're secure in doing that. The unknown is very scary. Doing something different, taking a step out there is very scary. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this. It's not going to be comfortable. What I, what I can tell you, you can either live in your comfort or you can live in your calling, but you can't do both. That's good. Yeah, I'll say it again. You can either live in your comfort or live in your calling, but you can't do both. You're saying, Casey, what do you mean? I can't have nice things. I can't uh, have... No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is God will interrupt your life. God will interrupt your life. 
See, we need to start narrowing our focus. We need to heed to the call. That's what about that's what, what being a disciple is all about. Is heeding the call. Is paying a, paying attention to that still small voice of Jesus. But when we have all this other stuff going on, it's really hard to hear. What I can tell you, when we answer that call, we're not going to be comfortable anymore. It's not going to be comfortable anymore. The Bible is not filled with people that had it really easy and they did really comfortable stuff. The Bible's not filled with that at all. It's filled with people that live totally outside their comfort zone and God used them to totally change history. And I wish that for y'all this morning. I wish that for me. I wish that for my kids. I wish that for Bo and Sheridan. I wish that for y'all out there. That you would just answer the call, even if it's in a, in a way that seems so small. God's grand plan is so big and something like this may just be the answer to it all. Listen to the voice of God. Just respond to his presence. Paul says this in Philippians 3, 14 through 21. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the go. When you got your eye on the go, there's nothing going on in the peripheral. That's all you can see. There's nothing on. I've eliminated everything else. Where, where God is begging us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running the same course, headed for the same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. They are distracting you from your true purpose. All they want is Easy Street. They hate Christ Cross, but Easy Street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies their gods, belches are their praise. All they can think about is their appetites. But there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and all around him. See, this is the key, guys, to removing our distractions and eliminating our options. Focus on Jesus. Like, Casey, that seems so simple. It is so simple. But some of the most simple things are so hard. They're so hard to do. See, we don't need to worry about what anybody else says either. If Tiffany would have listened to the people in her ear, I wouldn't have the kids and the family that I have. I wouldn't have any of that stuff. I, hey, this is a cool true story too. I got, a, I got accepted to, I'm a Vol now. I'm a Tennessee Vol. That's very cool. I got the email and I'm like, I sent it to Kelly and Chris and I was like, whoa, look at this. This is real. And they're like, did you fake this? I'm like, no, it's real, dude. Promise. See, sometimes the biggest barriers in our life are the people telling us to not move on or to, or to do something different, to do this or do that. When we're not, I'm not even sure if they're connected to the heart of God. They're just telling us something that doesn't look easy or it's uncomfortable. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't take in those kids if I were you. That's totally hard. I've been the one telling people that. Sometimes that's your calling. Don't listen to the naysayers. Hate is going to hate. That's what they say. See, later on in the story of Elisha, he's under the tutelage of Elijah, and this happens. Follow with me. 2 Kings 2. 
When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? He said, yes, I know. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets of Jericho went up to Elisha and this again. They said, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? He said, yes, I know. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at the distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm, ta before I'm taken away. He said, Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. You have asked a difficult thing, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak, his calling that he had been waiting for and went back and stood on the bank of Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, divided to the right and divided to the left, he crossed over. When he struck the water, the river divided and Elisha walked through. Some of us don't need to let other people deter us from our calling. See, the prophets of each city tried to dissuade Elisha. Hey, you know your master's going to be taken today. And he pretty much said, hey, shut up. I know that. But I'm, I'm, I'm soaking up everything I can from him right now. Elijah, Elijah even tried to dissuade him. He said, hey, stay here. He's like, hey, no. Wherever you go, I'm going because that's where my calling is. I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care how stupid people may think I am. I am going where the calling is. See, we may, have looked, we may have looked foolish when we burn our past down. He may have looked stupid when he slaughtered his oxen and burned his, everything else to the ground. He may have seemed like an idiot when he ignored the advice of the prophets and told him to shut up. But in the end, his focus was on Jesus and he could hear the still, small voice. He could hear what God wanted him to do. He was willing to heed the call of his master. Some of us need to be willing to do that today. I'm one of them. There's areas in our lives all the time that we need to be willing to say, this is not for me right now. I need to be willing to burn it to the ground. I'll leave you with one last thing before we have our altar call. Um, praise team, if y'all want to come up. Steve Jobs said at a commencement speech at Stanford University, this is after he had found out he had pancreatic cancer and uh, they'd already gave him treatment, so he thought he was through it. He said this, No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. <laughs>
And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. So sorry to be dramatic, but it's quite true. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. When I was young, there was an amazing publication called The Whole Earth Catalog, which was one of the Bibles of my generation. It was created by a fellow named Stuart Brand not far from here in Menlo Park. And he brought it to life with his poetic touch. This was in the late 60s before personal computers and desktop publishing, so it was all made with, his, with typewriter scissors and Polaroid cameras. It was sort of like Google and paperback form 35 years before Google came along. It was idealistic and overflowing with neat tools and great notions. Stewart and his team put out several issues of the Whole Earth Catalog, and then when it had run its course, they put out a final issue. It was the mid-70s, and I was about your age. On the, on the back cover of their final issue was a photograph of an early morning country road, the kind you might find yourself hitching on if you're so inclined and adventurous. Beneath it were the words, stay hungry, stay foolish. And I've always wished that for myself. And now as you graduate to begin anew, I wish that for you. Stay hungry. Stay foolish. As Steve Jobs gave this to, to those graduates. That's something I think that God wants for us too. As we're heeding to the call of God. Stay hungry. Stay foolish. Listen to what I have planned for you. Stay foolish. It might seem foolish. But we got to be willing to burn some things to the ground. Y'all stand with me. They're going to sing this song, but um, first, I'm going to give two altar calls. The first one is, you might have a past. You might not know Jesus. You might not have entered into a relationship with Jesus, but this is a call to action today. Normally, we'd have you bow your heads and do that whole thing, but I'm just going to say, hey, I am ready to heed the If you're ready to heed the call case, just raise your hand right now and say, hey, I'm ready. I've ignored it for a long time, but I'm ready to burn my past to the ground and start anew. If that's you, raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Several people raised their hands, and that's okay. If you want to raise your hand, don't feel ashamed. This, we're doing this together. This is a family here. This is a family. We got to be willing to burn the crap down in our past. I'm going to say a quick prayer for everybody here. And then they're going to lead us in a verse of this oceans. And then we're going to have another altar call. And uh, while we're praying, can I have the prayer team come down? Lord Jesus, I just thank you for the people that raised their hands. As I'm praying, praying for them, Lord, I just ask you to touch them. We just thank you that they've made the decision to come to Jesus. So while they're there at their seats, I just ask that they pray to themselves and say, Lord God, I believe you're the one. I believe you're the one that died on, died on the cross for my sins in a most violent manner so that I can have life. And I'm willing to burn my past down so I can have the future you want for me. 
So I just thank you. I thank you for the new people that decided to heed the call and become a disciple of God this morning. I thank you for that. And I believe there's going to be some more. But God, I thank you for the obedience of the ones that raised their hands right now. And we thank you for your spirit guiding other people to raise their hands as they sing this next next verse. In Jesus' name, amen.